Good morning, Wendover Hills. How are you today? Yeah? Yeah, that was a little weak. Well, hey, I heard that. That was a good one. Well, let me just set up for a second here, and, um, and you'll just have, to, you just have to go with me this morning on this. Um, I told you uh, I, I put out there... Uh, what are we laughing about already? I haven't even started. Goodness gracious. Um, I told you that this morning I wanted to kind of, uh, we're stepping off the series, uh, the story for a week, and then we're going to jump back into it right after Easter, because uh, next week we're going to really just just hit hard on, on the Easter subject. We've titled the message, The Road, and, and really the whole morning is about a journey. And so uh, I'm really excited about what's going to happen next week. Your praise team staying after church today for, I don't know, like a 12 hours or so working on a music, something like that. So it's going to be incredible what they do. And then our focus and the teaching, a shortened teaching, but the focus is going to be really on the road we're on in life. And where have we got off? Are we getting back on? And, uh, and what that looks like. So would really encourage you this week, you know, get those invites out and invite people to come next week, and we'll, we'll fill this place up. Two services, 8.30 and 10.30. But I said this this week, I wanted to just take a time and uh, share with you a little bit about what I felt like was going on in my, my own devotion life, and how it, it just, I really feel like the Lord has kind of been leading and speaking to me just in my own life and challenging uh, me. And I, I'm going to confess up front that some of it comes out of like this small development of cynicism. Do you ever do that in your life? You get a little cynical about something in your life? Like maybe you have a boss you don't quite like uh, that much, and, and you develop a little bit of a cynical attitude uh, about your boss. You know, oh, they'll never do anything right, or I'll never like anything they say. And, you know, we, we get a little cynical on things. Um, well, I developed a list, little bit of cynicism that I think the Lord started to deal with me on in my devotions. Because as I opened up and I started reading these passages, really what the Lord was telling me here is, you know, Tom, you, you, got, it, you got it out of whack. You got your perspective wrong on this. And you need to, you need to look at it from a different perspective. Um, and so I, I know that sounds a little mysterious, but I'll share what I mean as we get into it uh, in just a second here. So now uh, I... You know that uh, I, I like to interpret a lot of things through sports metaphors. It's just kind of how I'm wired, and I spent my whole life in it. So I know some of you are just like, I hate sports. Why do you do that? And, but since I've told you that it's a little bit more of a personal reflection message this morning, can, can you just go with me this morning? Can you suck it up for one week? And if you don't like sports, then just kind of roll with it. Um, but there are these times in my sporting career, and, and specifically baseball in my playing days, there's these times when... Um, where you get off track. You know what I'm talking about? Where uh, what you're capable of doing and what you feel like you can do, you're not doing at that moment. Now, I'm 40 years old now, so I, uh, I look at it now when I'm out on the, the baseball field as, you know, I'm just old and slow, and I, I can't do it any longer. So uh, I used to just revel. If a pitcher was throwing 90, I wanted badly to face that pick, pitcher. Now, if he's throwing about 68, that might be about what I can handle at this point in life. But I'm talking about when you're in your prime or when you are playing and you know you're just a little off track and you can't quite do uh, what, what you, you think you're capable of doing or what you know you can do. And the question is, what do you do at that point? How do you get it back? How do you go from a, a person that can hit the baseball well to not being hitting the baseball at all? And then how do you turn back into somebody who can hit a baseball well? Well, you can buy endless number of DVDs and, and teachers that can uh, walk you through that. And uh, it's not necessarily intent for me to walk you through that this morning because that wouldn't be exciting for you. It would be for me, but not for you. So I won't do that. But I'm thinking about this story that we celebrate 
And what I did was the previous week, not this past week, the week before, I spent every single morning getting up and I was reading from when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, entry we call it, all the way up till he was crucified and put in a grave. I read that passage in the different gospels every single morning with no note taking and uh, no trying to write out what a sermon might look like on that, you know, point one, two, three, you know, um, I was just reading it and I'm going to be honest, I was reading it out of my, this is the time of year, my um, obligation to share a message with you on this triumphal entry. And this is what stuck out for me. And it was quick. It was like on day two. I looked at it and I said, triumphal entry, hallelujah celebration. Didn't you love what the kids were doing over here during the singing? They were all dressed a little funny. I don't know if you noticed that. So uh, must be a new fad going around with the younger kids. But, but, uh, but they're celebrating the roads. They're celebrating Christ coming in. And many of you, you grew up, and in the kids' class on days like this, you made palm branches, and all afternoon you waved them in your house uh, until eventually, you know, you set them on the ground, and, you, you know, your mother kind of snuck away to, to get rid of them. So, but uh, that's what we did, right? But what struck me is that in just less than a week later, maybe even some of the same folks were chanting, crucify him. Just a week, I mean, just a week later, not even a week that this changed dramatically. And I wondered as I was re- reading, and I told you some cynicism snuck in, I wondered, how did it change so fast? How did it go from praise and glory and excitement to crucify him? And if it wasn't any of the same people, where were those people during that time? Because the Bible tells us that you know, it was some religious leaders that stirred up the crowd. Where were the Hosea, Hosanna people? Where were they? Saying, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. Don't yell that. I don't know. It went really bad, really, really fast. And in our life, sometimes, uh, doesn't that happen in certain things in life? It goes from good to really bad, really bad. The other day, I went to the ACC tournament. You know, and first time I've ever been to the ACC tournament. And I sat there and I watched Georgia Tech take a 15 to nothing lead to start off the ball game. 15 to nothing, that's that's pretty good. Usually, if you get a 15-point lead, you can almost ride that out the rest of a basketball game, right? They lost by 25 points. 25 points. And they were up 15. They got hammered the rest of the way. Hammered. How does it go like that? How can you go up 15 nothing and get hammered the rest of the way? How does Jesus come into a town triumphantly, and just a few days later, he's, he's being chanted, crucify him, and we would know that's exactly what would happen. It goes so fast. Here's where the cynicism worked in. As I was thinking about the Old Testament, and I was thinking about what we've been studying up till now, and if you remember, we, we, I mean, we started with creation the first day, and we've worked all the way up through Solomon, you know, the third king. And then if you study on your own, and I would encourage you, I mean, you will see this crazy cycle up and down, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, you know, happy life terrible life, exile, slavery, and, and it, it just a cycle keeps going. And I encourage you, pick that up uh, in, in the Bible and read that through from where we left off. Because when we come back two weeks from now, we're going to pick up with the, with the prophets. And if you ever said, I, have, I don't understand all those prophet things, I can't even pronounce the names, um, we're going to kind of sort all that out uh, for several weeks as we walk through the prophets. Um, <laughs> but we got a glimpse each week, it seemingly started good and went bad. Did you see that regularly? And the question that in the cynicism started sneaking in for me was, why does it keep going bad, God? 
Why is it that it starts so good, creation, Adam and Eve, perfection in the garden, next thing you know, kicked out of the garden, and you're done with perfection? Why does it go so, so bad so quick? Um, Cain and Abel, you know, working together, brothers, you know, murder. Why does it go so bad so quick? I mean, here is Saul, anointed king, as we jump later. And, and what do we know? I mean, it's, it's really God himself that removes Saul uh, from being king. David starts out incredible, ends good too, we'll have to say that. But there was this major hiccup in the middle in David's reign. And then Solomon. But let me bring something a little bit more closer to home. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I do Facebook like you do Facebook. And there was somebody, a believer, um, that, that uh, just two weeks ago, a week and a half ago now, they said in a long statement that uh, they were going to block an atheist friend who kept talking about atheism on Facebook. And they decided to go ahead and block them from Facebook. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal? No big deal, right? On that, you block somebody. I don't, you know, they're atheists. They're cursing my God. I might as well, I might as well block them. But here was an opportunity that was just blocked. It was just shut down. The opportunity is that when the Lord did something great in my life and I post that on there, guess what? That atheist never sees it anymore, the, the, the cutoff and the loss of testimony. And then what happens when that person, something major in their life happened, family member with cancer or whatever the case may be, and you say, look, I know we're not on the same page here, but I just wanted to let you know I'm going to pray for you. I'll be thinking about you. Do you need anything from me? That avenue's cut off. It's blocked. And so you can see how we respond sometimes as Christians. We respond in this, this pulling ourselves aside or pulling ourselves out of that, and it's interpreted often as hate. We wouldn't use that word, and I'm not even sure that word's fair to use on us. But our actions sometimes show we don't necessarily like people. One of the biggest issues facing the church today is the issue of our belief and our stance on homosexuality. And folks, it won't go away. Not going to go away. It will continue to develop. The lines will continue to be drawn. And there will be a day when it will really be the defining thing, the defining thing that labels the church as bigots. The day is coming, and it'll continue to come. Now, we hear that now, but there'll be a day even when legislative, uh, legislative help or legislative words uh, even label us that. The day is coming. Question, how do we respond? Even now, the church probably is seen, the church in America in general, as hate. Probably seen as hate if we have the, the stance that we have. The question is, well, what's it going to look like? If we respond, well, I don't really like them, <laughs> then we got an issue. We got a problem. And sometimes that has been a, that's been a problem. And the second thing is, I don't think we really are who we say we are. And as I was looking in God's Word and I was looking back on what we had studied the last few weeks, I thought, you know, I'm not sure we're always who we say we are. And then, as the Lord always does on this, and I don't really appreciate that he does it, but uh, he flips it personal right away. Does he ever do that on you? You know, when you're kind of talking in this general sense, and, you know, and I was writing, and, you know, and I was writing in this general sense, probably because I was trying to put together a sermon. Um, but then God flips it, and he puts it onto the personal. And he says, Tom, are you really who you say you are? You know, across the board, are you, is this who you say you are? And God starts walking through these little things. I know one thing, that if I want to live a life of holiness, just surrendered before God, 
it's never going to happen unless he rises some of those dark things to the surface and that I have to deal with. And I don't like those dark things. Um, I, I don't think you would like. I like them better if they're buried at the bottom of the tank uh, when I don't have to deal with them. But some point at some time, we have to deal with those things if we advance with Christ. We're not exactly who we say we are. The divorce rate for Christians still sits at 47% across the nation. That means 47% of believers still have failed marriages across the nation. We're, we seemingly are a little similar. Now, do things happen? I, I understand. There's even some grounds for divorce in God's word that, that, that is allowance for diver, divorce. But I would think that rate would have been lower. Sex before marriage sits at 96%. Christians as well, it's 96% across the nation. Sex before marriage there. Even though God's word teaches us a certain way, but even more so, God teaches us why in his word, why it's of great value. It doesn't just come with a list. Because if you're like me, I push against lists. Um, The why is what I want to know. And so that's what we find here. 70% of our kids, I told you, they'll leave the faith. 70%. Can you see if somebody looked into the window of Christianity and they said, look, 70% of your kids are leaving. They're leaving. Why would that be any value? You're not who you say you are. And so it's a problem. And then finally, this, this thing that came to mind as I was wa- working through this, and all this is coming from just my own private devotions. Uh, I wasn't necessarily even thinking about you at the, at the time. Um, and I thought, this phrase hit me. Remember when I said that he flips it to personal? The last one was, we don't know the Jesus Christ we preach. Now, notice I used the word preach when I wrote it down, um, and I'm usually the one preaching each week, that we don't know the Jesus Christ that we preach, the Jesus Christ that we share, the Jesus we talk about that even comes out of our lips verbally at times, we don't necessarily know. I mean, this Jesus Christ taught about joy, living a life full of joy. And Jesus, remember, he was a vagabond, homeless guy who endured all kinds of hardships. They were plotting for three years of his public ministry to kill him and do away with him. So this is not like a happy-go-lucky life. And yet he talks about this joy continually. He talks about this peace, peace that passes understanding, we know it as, this peace that he experiences. Jesus came into a time in in the the Roman Empire and in the Jewish uh, history that it was a very tough, tough time there. I mean, it was a political mess. Territories was, was very confusing where to draw the lines on that. And in the end, if there was a problem, then the Roman Empire just pulled rank and said, this is how it's going to be. And uh, you know, you're going to live this way, even if it violated their religious beliefs. This is the time Jesus...